0: are still losing carriers, premiums are still going up. Property insurance crisis in the crossings.
1: The repealing of the one-way
2: attorney's fees is going to be a tremendous step in the right direction. A special session starts tomorrow. It upsets me when insurance companies
3: try to point the finger at warriors
0: what's in what's not
1: and will it work i thought the uh, original was baseless
2: the drama takes a turn as the commissioner takes his chair
0: and speaking of chair miami Dade has a new chairman in charge
2: the big news of the week and the newsmakers all live this week in south florida
0: Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam.
2: I'm Glenna Milberg, and as we come on the air, South Florida lawmakers are headed to Tallahassee to take on a complicated crisis that touches everyone in the state. How to reverse the crushing costs of insuring homes and property, especially relevant in the months after Hurricane Ian showed what is at stake.
0: Two big property insurance bills were made public on Friday night, not really leaving much time for the public and the media to study them, but we can clearly see their goals. They include keeping the insurance market financially stable, reining in the lawsuits, downsizing citizens, and eventually giving consumers a break on their insurance costs. We will get into the details in the next hour with some of the people on the front lines, an attorney who sues insurers and a lawyer who represents insurance companies in Tallahassee.
2: We begin, though, with a South Florida lawmaker already there and ready to debate. Senator Jason Pizzo, Democrat, representing Northeast Miami-Dade to Fort Lauderdale, here with us today. Have you gotten any sleep at all, Jason?
4: (laughs) You can see some bags under my eyes. but uh no, we've been up here for a couple days um, yeah so
2: let's just i mean this bill is massive and detailed but the goal today is to really make it accessible for people to understand what's mm-hmm. in it so it's um you know you and i talked it's like three basic parts and i thought that was a great way to break it down about citizens sure. about uh, attorney's costs and about reinsurance so sure. what what do you see let's start off what do you see as working in this bill
4: THERE there ARE A NUMBER OF THINGS THAT WORK uh, IN THEORY. SO uh, THE THREE BASIC PARTS, AS YOU DISCUSSED, uh, WE HAVE uh, STATE GENERAL REVENUE BEING USED TO GO AHEAD AND BASICALLY OFFER DISCOUNTED REINSURANCE. THAT'S NOT GOING TO BE REALLY APPLICABLE DIRECTLY TO to YOUR VIEWERS BECAUSE IT'S GOING TO BE THE INSURANCE COMPANIES LAYING OFF SOME OF THE RISK uh, FOR REINSURANCE. AND BASICALLY WHAT THEY'RE GETTING IS A BILLION DOLLARS OF TAXPAYER MONEY TO GO AHEAD AND FIND A DISCOUNT in IN THAT SPACE. Um, and citizens, I, I, I have a citizen's policy, so that might be relevant to a lot of your viewers. There's a number of things in citizens we can discuss, but on the attorney's fees and sort of court access, if you're hearing about one-way attorney's fees and trial attorneys and all that. Here's, here's basically what the bill does uh, in, in layman's terms, because I have to describe it even to family members. Um, it basically does away with when you hire an attorney who goes and you have a claim, let's say for $20,000 is your claim, your attorney might rack up fees of $10,000. Uh, and to, typically when they have prevailed, when you have prevailed to be able to get your settlement amount from the insurance company by litigating, by suing, they get their attorney's fees and you get your you get your claim amount that, that you sought. Now the bill completely does away with that and says that me as a homeowner or you as a homeowner, Uh, You're basically sort of on your own. If you want to hire an attorney, great, but you're going to pay for it. Yeah, Jason,
0: can I, can excuse me, can I jump in here? Because you have really touched on one of the most contentious issues here, which is that issue of attorney's fees and the attorneys getting paid by the insurance companies. Surely trial lawyers are just going to stand on their head to stop that from going away. Can they prevail?
4: Uh, We don't have the numbers, Uh, you know, and there are some Republicans across the aisle, my colleagues, who actually are litigators, who I I think are probably not terribly excited about this. What are the good parts? I mean, I want to be very, you know, I'm always objective and try to be very candid and fair. So so some good parts, right? Right now you have uh, the insurance company has 90 days. We're moving that back to 60, okay, to to, to basically, you know, to make a decision. Uh, Homeowners now will have no longer two years to go ahead and file a claim. They'll only have one year. Uh, But the insurance company has now seven days instead of 14 to acknowledge that you have a claim. And their inspection, which was always done physically, can now be done remotely with drones or high-definition video or photographs. And that's gone from 45 down to 30 days to initiate that that inspection. I have a number of questions that will flesh themselves out over the next couple of days. I know are relevant to you guys, to your viewers. Namely, how does this apply to condos? On the Mm -hmm. citizen side, you're going to be required to have flood insurance. But I have citizens, but I'm in a condo. Right. So I have to have flood insurance. Or does it doesn't, you know, <laughs> and some of these things sort of have to be fleshed out. But, Michael, to your point, trial attorneys are going to be really upset. It comes down to this sort of basic question. If I have a fifteen thousand dollar claim and I and I call an attorney who says that my legal fees are likely going to be twelve thousand dollars. How does that not have a chilling effect yeah. on, you know what, it's not worth it. It's not worth my time. I'm going to spend as much in attorney's fees are close there, too, as to what the actual claim is. So do I think this is going to reduce rates? Absolutely. But here's what I'm going to be looking for. I won't get the I won't get an answer this week, but here's what we should be looking for later down the road looking back at this uh retroactively is have premiums gone down. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, have payments stayed relatively the same. You have to accept the argument from their side uh, or from the other side so to speak that legal representation and participation in this whole kind of uh, situation has rendered fewer payments and taking less time to do so okay and i i don't know that that's the case but you know we'll wait and see
2: you know there's a component if if anyone cares to read the bills you see the word bad faith come up in a lot of the components um telegraphing that there is fraud in this system not pointing fingers here but having had firsthand experience as a homeowner with what they call assignment of benefit, what I thought was a little bit scammy on my bill. When you assign <laughs> benefits, for anyone who might know, you have a claim, you have a catastrophe, the contractor comes in and says, oh, I don't want you to worry about anything, just sign over the insurance to me, step away, you'll get all your work done, I'll get paid directly. And then when you look at the bill at the end that your insurer is paying, there are things on there that raise your eyebrows to the ceiling. Sure.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely,
2: And that's gone in this bill. Assignment of benefits is no longer available. Is that a win-win? Who's going to blow back on that?
4: So, you know, I'm not saying that all homeowners are unsophisticated, but, you know, when the insurance commissioner of Florida last January stands before the banking and insurance committee and says, we have the most complex and complicated insurance system, not in the country, likely in the world. It sort of suggests that that John Q. and Mary homeowner are not exactly, you know, familiar with the nuances and and, and things about construction, and, and and nor should they be. There obviously it's a moment of damage or or loss or destruction. It's a distra- it's a distressing situation. Someone comes along and says, and, and I'm with you, Glenn. I, there are a lot of you know snake oil salesmen, uh, but someone comes along and says, listen, you know, you're what you see, what you can see topically of water damage. You might. have have more interior stuff and they and they find there's there's more and all of a sudden the laundry and the grocery wish list of things that have to be repaired or paid for expands well beyond what you even contemplated or and here's the thing when you assign your benefits to that person they say listen I'll step in your shoes and I'll act on your behalf and I'll go get you paid for this stuff there's stuff that you don't even know about that we can get and, and, and that I think is obviously a driver But it goes back to the following sort of, not sentiment, but empirically. If we allow insurance companies in Florida, right? When you go through the list of all the things that are being offered here and your next guests are going to talk about it, but objectively and candidly, there's a lot more in here for insurers than there are for the insured, right? Yeah, we see that. It's just, that's really where it it is.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jason, let me ask you to go back to the subject of citizens insurance. It's supposed to be the insurer of last resort, but... At last check, they have 1.1 million policyholders. They're only going up. They charge considerably less than private insurers. Private insurance, of course, uh, are are charging on the average more than $5,000 per policy. Uh, Citizens charges $3,227. But there are going to be a lot of people who have citizens who are going to be forced to take private insurance. Is that right? Sure.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and this is this is real for me. It's not you know not an academic exercise. If I go and try to place insurance with it, I have citizens right now, and if I go, or I'm required to go shop uh, the market, and I find a policy uh, offering that's twenty within a 20% delta, 20% uh, or or less difference between my citizens' premium and what the private market's offering, uh, they can they can kick me out. Um, also, if it's a second home. Uh, then they can, rake, they can hike your insurance up fifty percent. Michael, to your point, they're at one point one million. They have over three hundred and eighty billion dollars in exposure. They don't have the dollars to, to, you know, remotely even to cover that if we had or sustain some sort of loss. So it's, it, the, the buzzword this week on on citizens is depopulation. They want to kick, even though it's the last resort, they want to kick as many people out as possible right. to narrowly uh, tailor it down to a, a smaller group.
2: Well, and, and if citizens has problems or goes under, it's every Florida taxpayer that's on the hook for that. But, you know, what's really interesting is that you actually did our teases for us for our next guest, because <laughs> we're going to be delving into the insurance side, the attorney side as we go along. Jason Pizzo, senator from North Miami. Great to have you aboard again.
4: great. Michael, Michael, thank you for years of incredible integrity and professionalism yes. and, and having me and welcoming me on your show. You, you, you did it right, man
0: you're very kind my <laughs> friend thank you thank and you. have a good session up there thank you all
2: take right. care all right still to come an attorney for insurance companies considered one in the industry one of the top in the state
0: we will ask him about the high number and the high cost of insurance litigation
2: Welcome back. In the next few days, Florida lawmakers will take a wrench to the structure of Florida's insurance market, where six insurers have failed, others have bailed, and homeowners absolutely paying the price.
0: So, will it work and will the insurers come back or fight back? And what can Coomer's consumers expect. Let's ask Fred Karlinski, who is a regular in the state capital representing insurance companies, co-chair of the Greenberg Law Firm's Insurance Regulatory and Transactions Group, and the go-to guy on insurance questions. Fred Karlinski, welcome. Glad to
5: see you. Thank you both for having me this morning. This is an important topic, and I appreciate you bringing it up. I would also say I appreciate uh, Senator Pizzo's comments earlier. I think he's got a lot of good knowledge in this area, and so look forward to working with him and his colleagues on
0: this. Yeah, Fred, what good do you see coming out of this special session? What problems can be corrected?
5: Well, look, Michael, here, here's the deal. I mean, we in the state of Florida are home to litigation, hell holes that don't exist anywhere else. The fact of the matter is, Last year we had 116,000 lawsuits filed on property insurance claims. The whole country had 20% of what we had in the state. No state had more than just a couple of thousand of claims. And so it's clear that there is a litigation problem in the state of Florida. And it was mentioned earlier that Commissioner Altmaier said this was the most complicated um, insurance marketplace in the world. It may be, but it's not because of um, the, the, the words on the policies. It's because of how you have to structure policies in a state that has the coastline that we have. The reinsurance is very uh, complicated to place in the state of Florida. And so I think the lawsuit reform that the legislature is talking about now will go a long way in stabilizing the marketplace and bringing back capital to the state. Capital goes where capital is welcome. And right now, the threat of lawsuits and the threat of claims that are just extraordinary in this state makes this a dysfunctional marketplace that cannot, can no longer serve the citizens of the state of Florida.
2: That that actually has been kind of the headline for the lawmakers who have been in the weeds with this and working on this. But then the flip side of that, and, and we will be talking to an attorney who does those lawsuits next, but the flip side of that is, You know, insurance companies need to be held accountable for things that they may or may not do in the time they may or may not do it. So there is a place for legal and court proceedings against insurers. So how do you see the balance of that being evened out?
5: Well, right now there's an imbalance. And I think because of the one-way attorney's fees that Senator Pizzo articulated really well what the problem is and, and what's going on, I think there's a significant imbalance. So we got to get back to that balance. And I hearken back to 2003 when the legislature passed legislation, Senate Bill 50A, uh, that dealt with workers' comp and, and workers' comp attorney's fees. Workers' comp rates, and there was a crisis at that point in time, workers' comp rates in the state of Florida today are lower than they were in 2003 because of that reform. And so I think what we're going to see happen is you're going to have that imbalance taken away. And look, let's face it, these consumers, the, the, the people that have these policies, the people that have these claims, they are the insurance companies' consumers, too. The insurance companies all want to do right by them. There's no question about that. But I think this imbalance that we've seen with the AOBs that you've mentioned, with the one-way attorney's fees, with some of the other threats— that temperature needs to be taken down significantly or we won't have an insurance market in the state of Florida. We'll have a citizens that, as Michael pointed out, is now 1.1. I think it's about 1.2 million policies. It was 400,000 policies 18 months ago. That number is going to continue to go up. That is going to increase the cost of doing business in the state of Florida from an assessment perspective, as you mentioned, Glenda earlier. And it's also going to make real estate become unaffordable. And so we want to avoid all those types of things. And I think by doing this, we'll help to get on that path. Make no mistake about it. We are in full crisis mode with the number of carriers that have gone out of business, with the number of companies, as, as you mentioned, that have bailed out of the state because they can't afford to do business in the state. This is at a crisis point, and I applaud the legislature and the governor for taking it on.
0: Yeah. Boy, that's putting it very plainly, Fred, and and we're glad you did. Let me ask you about mandatory flood insurance, because a lot of homeowners, and I know some personally, uh, who have had damage in their homes, and they were covered by windstorm. But the insurance company said, no, all that damage was really caused by water, by flood, and we're not going to pay off on your policy. And then that resulted in litigation. So there is a consideration here, possibility of mandatory flood insurance. Is that gonna happen?
5: I hope it does. You know, unfortunately it does raise the cost of doing business in the state of Florida, but flood insurance is not anywhere covered under a homeowner's policy. And so if you're in a flood zone, Or if you have a mortgage and you're in a flood zone or i would argue even if you're not in a quote-unquote flood zone uh certified by fema because this whole state is covered in water right we have water on both sides of us we have lakes all over the place and so the potential for flood damage is significant and so you have to be aware of your circumstances homeowners policies don't cover flood insurance flood insurance to me is something everyone should look at And if you think about it, it's a social hazard when people don't have the right kind of insurance because if one home can be repaired, but another home next to it or down the street can't, that's not good for the community. So it does raise the cost of of, of doing business. It raises the cost of real estate in the state of Florida. But I think it's a necessary evil in a state like Florida.
2: I want to ask you, Fred, a portion of the bill that talks about, when we're talking about legal fees, there's a lot of calculations, a lot of kind of mind-blowing percentages, but essentially talking about settlements. When a consumer puts in a claim, the insurance company decides, well, we're going to settle for something less. That's when the attorneys usually jump in. That's where the fees go fees usually more than the settlement was offered in the first place but but now what's to prevent an insurance company from and i'm not suggesting bad faith per se but what's what's to prevent an insurance company from really lowballing those settlements in an effort to keep their profits
5: that's not the insurance company's goals the insurance companies want to keep these consumers happy but i'm sure you've traded in a car before and you took care of that car you put the high test gas in that car you wash that car all the time and you thought that car was worth $40,000 and the trade-in value was 20 or, or 10 or something like that, that's how things work with, with depreciation. And so you have this inflated view, everyone does, of, of what a claim should be and, and what it should be settled for. And the fact of the matter is the insurance companies are and, and, and want to be fair. And when we've talked about roofs, people have talked about roofs, and, and frankly, roof claims have become almost warranty types of claims, which is not appropriate for a homeowner's type of a claim situation but think about this if you had a 2000 honda and you got into an accident today in 2022 would you expect to get a 2022 honda to replace that no that's not how it works but yet people want new roofs and and there's a school of thought out there and some unscrupulous actors that have been putting new roofs on those homes and that's raised the cost and if you think about it that type of fraud waste and abuse that's not a victimless crime, or that's not a victimless circumstance. At the end of the day, every one of us, the three of us, everyone that's going to be on your show today, everyone that's watching in the audience, everyone's paying for that.
0: Yeah, everyone eventually pays. Uh, Fred Karlinsky, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your expertise and your time today.
2: Thank Keep in touch.
5: Thank you very much. Great.
0: All right. Up next, an attorney who is famous for suing insurance companies
2: in defense of suing insurance companies and the changes that lawmakers want. He's next.
0: And those massive bills in Tallahassee meant to stop Runaway insurance costs, attorneys and legal costs are in the crosshairs.
2: The accusations you've heard we've been talking about them include frivolous lawsuits and padded bills and outright fraud. Attorneys are fighting back, asking who else will protect homeowners against insurers. Anthony Lopez is the Miami attorney who, by industry count, has filed the most lawsuits in the state against insurance companies so far this year. Anthony, great to see you again. I know you can't see us, but we can see you and we appreciate your time today.
3: Anthony, welcome. Happy Sunday morning. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here.
0: Great to have you here. Well, you have heard, I'm sure, some of the previous conversation. What is your reaction to the proposal to do away with insurance companies paying your or any attorney's legal fees if you are successful in the lawsuit?
3: Yeah, and I think you hit the uh, nail on the head there. In order for, under the current statutory scheme, in order for an insurance company to be on the hook to pay attorney's fees the policyholder i.e the attorney has to win the case um, under the current proposed legislation um, what Tallahassee is essentially uh, doing to consumers and floridians is saying um, whether you win or lose you're on the hook for your own attorney's fees uh, and that's a big problem for uh, floridians uh, you know we live in florida hurricanes are are part of our or annual uh, ritual. And if you have a hurricane and you sustain damage under the the proposed legislation, you're gonna have to come out of pocket to either pay an attorney uh, if you have to take them to court, or you're gonna have to give away a large portion of your claim um, to take them to court in the event you disagree with with what they pay you, or if they wrongfully deny your claim. It's a big problem for Floridians.
2: Yeah, and, and you are talking as an attorney who stands behind the cases he files against insurance companies. But if you listen to the conversations and the debate and when you read the bill, it, it looks like what the state of Florida is saying and lawmakers are saying are all you know all of these lawsuits are not good faith lawsuits. And I wonder if you would yeah. sort of address the fact that they're saying, listen, you know, attorneys go for what they go for. That's how law works in every single issue. And yes, that's how attorneys are paid. But in this time, for Florida to have so much more of a percentage of lawsuits to claims than any other state, speak to why all of these lawsuits may not be valid.
3: Look, obviously, I can't speak to every lawyer in the state of Florida that's filing lawsuits and whether or not they have merit. But I can tell you, under the current statutory regime, in other words, where if you prevail in court, the insurance company has to pay your attorney's fees, I don't understand why a lawyer or a policyholder would be incentivized to file a frivolous lawsuit. Because if you lose, you're not gonna get your attorney's fees paid and you're gonna be on the hook for costs. That's why I'm a little bit concerned about um, this manufactured, I guess, insurance crisis and how insurance companies are in Tallahassee touting that attorneys and fraud are the the concerns, if you really look at the market in Florida and analyze it with respect to other markets in the country, the issue isn't policyholders and the issues in lawsuits. The issue is insurance companies in Florida are not incentivized to pay claims. Insurance companies in Florida are allowed to play shell games with what they do with their revenue. Um, You know, insurance companies in Florida, when they go out of business, are required to file a report with the Office of Insurance Regulation detailing um, why they went out of business and and what happened and where the money went. That doesn't happen in Florida. The Office of Insurance Regulation is not doing their job. Um, We're not auditing these insurance companies to determine where the monies are going. Uh, Insurance companies in Florida are playing a shell game with policyholders' money, and it's easier and cheaper for them to go out of business let uh the florida insurance guarantee association which floridians foot the bill for uh take over um, their claims and uh and then they start a new insurance company yeah. that's the problem with florida and that's the insurance crisis all right that's well you seem crime.
0: yeah. excuse me anthony you seem to sure. put your finger on a really serious issue and that is if the office of insurance regulation is really falling down on the job the body that really could tell them stand up and Fight for the consumer is the legislature. Is the legislature failing in its responsibility too? The,
3: the legislature is failing. And, and you know, I, I really appreciate everyone up there. I know they work really hard. I've been in Tallahassee over the last five years advocating for Floridians and consumers and really trying to find a way uh, to balance uh, the, the struggle that exists between policyholders and insurance companies in Florida. Um, And look, I've sat down and and had a conversation with Governor DeSantis. I've met with Jimmy Petronas on a number of occasions. And unfortunately, I think this legislation falls short of what we need to do in Florida. This is going to swing the pendulum in such an opposite direction of what we need, where it's really going to allow insurance companies to not pay any claims. They're not gonna have to pay valid claims. Uh, They're not gonna have to properly adjust your claim. Uh, the current uh, proposed legislation literally allows insurance companies in Florida to do whatever they want, and consumers have no recourse.
2: That that's actually a really a very broad statement, and I think you know I don't I don't speak for attorneys or insurance companies, but that there are components of accountability put into this bill for insurance companies.
3: And you know, there two years ago, um, the legislature passed a bill. THAT REQUIRED INSURANCE COMPANIES TO REPORT TO THE OFFICE OF INSURANCE REGULATION um, WHAT THEY WERE PAYING uh, TO SETTLE CLAIMS. IN OTHER WORDS, WHAT WERE THEY PAYING IN ATTORNEY'S FEES, HOW MUCH THEY WERE PAYING TO SETTLE CLAIMS, HOW MUCH THEY WERE PAYING DEFENSE COSTS uh, TO DEFEND THESE CLAIMS. AND, YOU KNOW, AS I SIT HERE TODAY, THOSE REPORTS HAVE NEVER BEEN SUBMITTED. Uh, EVERY INSURANCE COMPANY IN THE STATE OF FLORIDA IS IN VIOLATION OF THAT STATUTE AS WE SPEAK. Um, And it really makes you wonder who is supposed to be, why is that not being enforced? Because if really we're concerned about um, monies being spent on lawsuits, I think the data would be very telling. Yet the insurance companies aren't giving that data to the Office of Insurance Regulation, and it's not being uh, given to the public like it's supposed to. And that data was due two years ago.
0: Yeah. Anthony Lopez, uh, your insurance attorney, Uh, we are so glad to have a chance to speak with you and uh, thank you for your insights
3: and expertise. Thank you for having me on.
2: Thanks, Anthony. All right, last week at this time, Fort Lauderdale's mayor was holding up the swearing in of a political opponent.
0: John Herbst is now seated, and he is taking names and kicking rear ends. Well, Well, join us next.
2: Plot twist this week in the drama surrounding the swearing in for one of Fort Lauderdale's new commissioners among John Herbst's opponents who had challenged his election Fort Lauderdale's mayor.
0: And after being sworn in on Tuesday, Commissioner Herbst's first order of business was to call for some folks to be fired, including the city manager, the city attorney and the mayor's chief of staff. So he is starting off his term with a bang and he joins us now by Zoom. Commissioner Herbst, welcome. Glad to see you. Good morning. morning. Thank you so much. All right. So uh, let me just ask you, uh, since it wasn't easy, I mean, you won your election easily by more than 2200 votes, but getting sworn in was hard because of these challenges to your residency. Uh, But your residency in the end really was not in question. You were a legitimate candidate. You
1: won legitimately. That, that's correct. The, the residency was never an issue. I had made sure up front before I filed to run that I had uh, completed everything I needed to do to be a qualified candidate for the office. So I was very disappointed that that last minute challenge after the election came forward.
2: So Commissioner John, um, I, before we get into the, the issues of what happened during your first meeting, I, I really want to address the residency because Mayor Trent Ellis was on last week and made a very big deal of... Mm-hmm a challenge to that as the quote, in his words, right thing to do to make sure everything was kosher. So the issue for people to know is that you have a homestead exemption on a home that you purchased for your retirement in Central Florida, Highlands County. So far, so good. Is that right? That's correct.
1: That's absolutely correct. Yes.
2: So the the homestead exemption that you took out in January, you were still working in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, you were terminated, which we can talk about in February, but you didn't sure. know that in January. So why would you take out a homestead exemption on a home in central Florida that you didn't live in?
1: So actually, I did live there. So you may recall that we were still working under some COVID protocols in the prior year. So in my office, we were doing a hybrid work schedule. So I had staff, including myself, in the office three days a week, and I was working remotely on the other two days of the week. So I was able to be at my other property several days a week, occupy it claim it as a homestead and still meet the terms of my contract where I had to have a residency in Fort Lauderdale. I also had an apartment downtown that I was utilizing for those days that I spent in the week. So I was complying with both the homestead requirements for my residence, and I maintain a residency in the city of Fort Lauderdale to comply with my contract.
0: Yeah. You know, John, we should point out for anybody who isn't aware that you were for 16 years the city auditor in the city of fort lauderdale you were examining the books and things that people were doing and sometimes when you ask tough questions you really you know people get angry uh was your firing the result of you doing your job correctly or what was the reason why you got terminated
1: that, that's absolutely correct. So I was fired by uh, an initiative under, undertaken by the mayor to terminate me as a result of my conducting an investigation into our former chief of police for his outside employment while he was on duty and, uh, and, and at the same time was engaged as an NCAA ref. Had he taken vacation time, that would not have been a problem, but he was put down on his timesheet that he was on assignment and it's entirely inappropriate to do that. That violates the police department property uh, uh, policies. We have arrested several of our own officers for doing the same thing. In fact, one back in January was charged with grand theft for a very similar action. So I think it's very important when we're looking at our leaders that they demonstrate the integrity that we expect from all of our staff. And we had gotten an allegation um, that he had, had engaged in this behavior. We were investigating it, which is the appropriate thing for the auditor to do. We investigate fraud, waste and abuse. And the mayor, I think, inappropriately interfered with that investigation. And I was fired in what essentially is a, a whistleblower violation. So uh, I was I was very disappointed in that because, again, I think the tone at the top matters.
2: And now you are on the commission, Deus, with him. Um, I want to just point out that Susanna Bryant, a reporter for the Sun Sentinel, had the best headline of the week and talked mm-hmm. about you sitting on the dais saying there is a new bull in the china shop, <laughs> and uh, and so you recommended the termination of the city manager and the city attorney and the mayor's chief of staff. Why?
1: So uh, let, let me let me separate those two because I think it's important to understand the difference. Um, I was elected based on my experience again as you reference i have 16 years of experience with the city of fort lauderdale i've got 23 as a senior financial executive in government as a finance director and cfo so the reason that people voted for me so overwhelmingly is my ability to hit the ground running and start focusing on those issues that are critical to the city of fort lauderdale and that was my plan unfortunately that was hijacked through everything that we've been through for the last three weeks, where the city refused to seek not only myself, but also my two colleagues, uh, Commissioner Sturman and Commissioner Beasley Pittman. And I think that was a serious mistake. And that's why I addressed that yeah. forthright in the first meeting. Yeah. The city attorney gave what I considered to be very bad advice, which the city uh, manager then followed, and that was to hold up the, the swearing in ceremonies. The charter requires that the new commissioners be sworn in on the first Tuesday after the election. And that wasn't done. That meeting was canceled, nobody was sworn in, and it was another three weeks until, until we followed the charter and swore in the new commissioners and again it comes back to as i said it's it's that it's the governance issues that matter the most to me as the former auditor we focus extensively on governance because you send a message down through the organization and through the community that either the rules matter or they don't the charter is our constitution it is our governing document and absolute adherence to that charter is critical for me. Yeah. And I said I lost confidence in them when they didn't follow the charter and and, and continued in that posture for several weeks. John, so if I, I can like jump I in,
0: excuse sure. me, if I can, we're about to run out of time. I just want to say you understand so well that what is critical for an elected body is collegiality for people to work together. Are you ready to sit down now with uh, the mayor and the other commissioners and get things done in Fort Lauderdale?
1: absolutely absolutely i I took that action because i believe it needed to be addressed at the first meeting i am going to at this point put this behind me i'm going to work with my colleagues on those issues where we agree i'm going to disagree with them on the issues where i think they're making the wrong choices same thing with the city manager and the city attorney i got out there what i thought needed to be addressed and now i am ready to move forward i will not be taking any further action on my own initiative uh, with respect to them we have things that we need to do i'm focused on that again i've got the knowledge the experience i know what the community wants and i'm looking forward to executing on that agenda that's really why i ran
2: commissioner john herbst it is great to have you on in your official new capacity and we will be following that all
0: commissioner thanks very much much. we appreciate it thank Thank you i appreciate the opportunity of course all right the miami-dade county commission is a powerful group 13 people each with his or her own agenda.
2: And the most powerful is the chair, and there's a new one. Oliver Gilbert is live with us next.
0: The Miami Dade County Commission has had some bitter battles lately, notably that fight over expanding the urban development boundary. However, choosing a new leader on the commission, that turned out to be a piece of cake.
2: <laughs> unanimous. Interim Chair Oliver Gilbert got that unanimous support from commissioners to become officially and technically the most powerful man in county government. Oliver Gilbert represents District 1, much of Northwest Miami-Dade, former mayor of Miami Gardens, and live right here with us today. Mr. Chair, can the <laughs> love last? is the question.
6: Uh, I'm, I'm sure it will. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Glenn. And how are y'all doing today?
0: Oliver, we're great. It's great to see you in one of your signature bow ties. Let me just say personally, you are the best dressed man in <laughs> politics in South Florida. I love the way you dress.
6: Thank you very much. I'll be sure to pass that on to René Garcia. He thinks it's here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. The questions get tougher from here. So um, you, um, your unanimous selection as chair. This board is um, because of term limits, half of a new board, and the dynamics, of the love, kind of didn't last in electing the vice chair, and there was quite the split. Anthony mm-hmm. Rodriguez, who is one of the new commissioners, former state rep, is the new uh, vice chair over Raquel Regalado, who is a tenured mm-hmm. commissioner. Well, what do you make of the emerging political split on that dais?
6: Mm-hmm. I think it's probably overstated. You know, when people talk about this, when I talk to people out in District 1 at least, and really all over the county, they're not talking about who's the chair or even who's the vice chair. They're talking about uh, congestion, housing prices. They're talking about economic development. They're talking about resiliency. They're talking about the things that actually affect their day-to-day lives. And and so I, I understand that that is a great conversation. You know, in County Hall, everyone's talking about it. Oh, he got it and she didn't. In truth, the residents don't really care about that. In truth, the residents care about the things that are gonna affect how they live their lives and how they interact with each other and with their families.
2: And so I look forward
6: to working with like Raquel and Anthony and all of my colleagues, because I think we're gonna have a a very, very, very uh, thoughtful and and, uh, collegial
2: board. 100% and Mr. Chair, what I actually kinda wanna take from that question was all of those issues that you talked about and more that are much more critical than the politics on the dais, will be coming before a dais that is kind of split. And we saw that kind of with the urban development boundary issue. And so it's from that perspective, for the record, that I asked that question because all of those very important issues absolutely are going to be voted upon by that board.
6: I think they will. And, you know, a a lot of people make a lot of the split, right? What I think of is, as I've interacted with all of my colleagues, uh, the ones who've been on the board for two years and our new colleagues, when they talk about what they heard from residents, they, they didn't hear about partisanship. They didn't hear about UDB. They, talked, they heard about collectively how we actually exist as a community. And, and what, I, what I look at is the opportunities on our board. You know, we, from Marlene Bastien, who's a lifelong social worker and social activist to people like Senator Garcia, who, who made his bones in Tallahassee writing state policy, Representative Rodriguez, Raquel Regalado, who comes to to public service from a long lineage of public service, but also through the school board and her advocacy for for her especially these children. I I think that when you look at people like Keon Hardiman from Liberty City and Daniel Corden Higgins and Keone McLean down South, I look at the mosaic that's gonna be so many different intellects and opinions and imaginations that we can actually come together and make meaningful progress in Miami-Dade County together. And I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah, Chairman Oliver, I, I know, let me sort of repeat, The point you made just a minute ago, which is to say the essential services provided by Miami-Dade County or Broward County, almost any kind of municipality, that is to say uh, refuse and ports, airports, seaports, all the things, water, sewer that they do, there is no partisan element to any of that. I mean, what people want is government that is efficient, runs well, provides the services
6: they pay for. That's not a Republican yeah. or a Democrat issue. Yes, yeah, and Mike, Michael, you're absolutely right. So, so much of you know the, the the type of social media coverage, the coverage we get, people want a drama that's intended, that's attended with, with political, you know, a political soap opera. But what I really want is to serve the remaining two years, and then hopefully four years after that, with the idea that we actually made stuff better for the people here, not just in District One, but in all 13 districts. All of our visitors, our businesses, we have opportunities and we have challenges. But when I look at those challenges, when I look at things like the absence of rapid mass transit and substance secure, and and resiliency and housing costs, I don't see them as independent things. I see them as interrelated things. So when we start talking about uh, mass transit, I'm actually talking about housing. We talk about economic development. I'm talking about crime and making sure we actually give kids and young folks in this community opportunities and and not just uh, a gun when they get older. Because ultimately, it's incumbent on all of us, we're the village that's going to not just raise those kids, but create something that's enduring, something that's progressive, something that allows Mm -hmm. and entices them to come back home after they hopefully going to college.
2: So all of those, I mean, the chronic issues, not only Miami-Dade, but metropolitan South Florida face are those issues, the housing, the development, environment, and crime and transportation, and who hasn't sat on those highways in stuck (laughs) still traffic. So just um, for TV purposes, we take our big broad brush this morning. As new chair, what do you prioritize in your tenure? Over the rest, what what is well, the real focus for your tenure as chair?
6: Well, I, I think that when when we we've had that that conversation before, and you all have asked that conversations of chairmen before, and chairwomen before, and the mayor before, and candidates before, and everyone picks this one thing, and they'll either say transportation because transportation, in fact, I've said this before board chair of the board of TPO, uh, transportation has an ability to do a lot of things, but that would be the wrong conversation the wrong conversation the right conversation is the interrelated nature of them because when we talk about housing prices which probably would be the number one issue for most residents if you if you ask them you can't meaningfully address housing prices without addressing mass transit without addressing density without addressing land use those those addressing those issues require you to talk about Resiliency. They require you to talk about economic development because we can't just have houses. We have to have houses, and and in relation to businesses and services. And so I, I think the issue that we have to actually talk about is not just transportation. It's not just housing. It's not just crime. It's how they connect, because it, we have to find a way here in Miami-Dade County, which I, I called home my entire life. You know, I went away for college, but this has always been my home. I'm a kid from Miami Gardens, and so we have to find a way. To, to become a truly world-class community. We had to find a way to actually build what I believe will be the model for metropolitan areas in the entire world going forward. Oliver, I'm going to have to interrupt you.
0: We are out of time, but I'm glad you got a chance to say the sort of cosmic piece there. Thank you very much. We appreciate it.
2: <laughs> and you'll be back.
6: <laughs> I'll be back. Listen, you all have a good Sunday.
2: Thanks so much. And you, you, too. you as
0: well. All right, we'll be right back.
2: watch today's interviews or listen to the this week in south florida part podcast all you have to do is scan this qr code with your phone and it takes you right there right to the this week in south florida section of local10.com as always we thank you so much for being here with us this hour and remember we're online 24 7
0: and remember as always stay informed get involved have a great sunday